like a ghost. It's the New Year's special. All right, welcome to Crooks and Creeps. And if you listened to the pilot episode, welcome back. Welcome uh, where back. we talk about true crime and legendary beasts. That description changes weekly. Technically, I cover cryptids, but the definition is open to interpretation. And this week's being dips into mythology, folklore, and culture. So I didn't want to upset any hardcore cryptozoology fans out there or actual cryptozoologists. But I am so excited about it. And so much research went into this. I have like 20 plus sources cited for this episode. Oh my god. That's so many. <laughs> Jesus. So do you want the um, teaser haiku now? Or do you want it when I start? Um, can I have it now so I can think about it while I'm delivering my depressing story? If you're able to multitask that well, you sure can. Uh, considering my current employment, I have to know how to do multiple things at once. So, yes. <laughs> my memory is too bad to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tempestuous toss. A majestic dragon works. Enjoying the rain. Okay, so... Here's the thing. <laughs> okay, when I heard this just now coming out of your mouth, the first thing I thought about was Haku from Spirited Away, the water dragon. Wait, hang on. Have you never seen Spirited Away? I have not ever seen Spirited Away. <gasps> okay, well, that's on the to-do list of things to watch because it is a beautiful movie. It's Studio Ghibli, so... Um, that's what I'm thinking of. Now, knowing you, that's definitely not what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> but I would, I really would appreciate cool. it if we would be talking about that. Since um, I just admitted that I've never seen it. No, no, it's not. Darn. Well, we're trying. Um, maybe we can slip that in one day. Uh, but it's a really, that, that's, that's got my gears turning. I'm, I'm thinking of like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm derailing, but <laughs> I'm also thinking about. The video, I'm a snake. I'm a slippery I'm a snake. snake. I keep thinking of that and I'm like, why is my brain like this? <laughs> why am I like this? I, I don't know why I'm like Vine. this. Vine. Vine is why you're like this. Oh God. Vine, TikTok, all of it is why I'm like this, unfortunately. Don't say TikTok and try to make yourself not sound old. <laughs> oh, no. Don't try to relate to the youth. Oh, okay. <laughs> trying to, I'm trying to recenter myself. Okay, that sounds good. Um, okay. I'm going to think about that. So what have you got for us this week, Crooks? Okay. So since this is the New Year's episode and we both kind of talked about it, I found a New Year's Eve true crime story. And I talked a little bit about this with you earlier about how I wanted to punch the defense attorney in the face. You mentioned the, that, but you wouldn't tell me why. For the killer. Um, and it, it is a very, uh, um, I don't know if you remember it because it happened in 2017. This is when these murders were committed. And I recently, this year in 2020, um, there was a conviction. Uh, so I don't know if you exactly remember this case, but this is the case of Scott Kologi and the New Year's murders. Never heard of it. Okay. Well, you're in for a treat. You Ooh, were in for a treat. And I had, didn't even have to do a trick. <laughs> No, um, but he did all kinds of tricks, um, unfortunately. Oh, no. And I hate it. Okay, so 
let's chat about Scott Kologi real quick. Okay. Okay. So, this all starts in a place called Long Branch, New Jersey. And the particular year that these murders happened, like I said, were 2017. So from oh, the date, so from the date of this recording, it's almost been five years exactly since these murders had happened. But before we talk about what Scott Kologi did, let's kind of talk about who he was as a person to kind of get an idea of why he may have done this. Um, so Scott Kologi, he was a teenager going through the motions of life in New Jersey, and he had a lot of great people in his life, of course. Um, that this is things that has been told not only by himself in in more recent years, but also his brother, one of the survivors of these attacks, um, saying that he had a really great family. He had a, a loving mo- mother, a devoted father. He had a great brother, sister, and he had a great grandfather who had a companion who basically was with the family so long that she was basically his second grandmother. Um, so Scott had a lot of people who loved him and cared about him, but as 2017 was approaching, there was obviously some things that were happening that were changing in him, causing him to have some very dark, scary tendencies. How did you mention how old he was? So I'm going to get to that. Okay. So at the time of the murders, um, he was 16. Okay. Okay. So it's not like he was like a 30-year-old man with love no. and support his whole life and then all of a sudden... No, he is a teenager who had a lot of um, a lot of problems um, that went undiagnosed, it seems like, for a long time. Okay. Despite yeah. his family being supportive. And then around like puberty and, and usually like between puberty and 24 is when a lot of mental illnesses and stuff start to manifest anyway. Yeah. And before then, um, there are some things that the family were noticing when it came to Scott. And these are some of the things I'm going to get into to kind of build up what kind of character he was before these shootings happened. So, according to his brother, Jonathan Ruiz, Scott was a very interesting child. He was never really interested in things that were normal, um, that developmentally and socio-emotionally Um, He was always behind in his age. So Scott was always wanting to be around things that were not appropriate for his age. Always wanted to do things that were not appropriate for his age. And was just very disconnected. Jonathan said that Scott, even though he is 10 years older than Scott, he noticed that his brother was different from a young age just based on his senior and being able to identify how typical kids would act versus Scott. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, even though Jonathan noticed this and was like worried about some things that were happening, um, Scott's parents understood that he was different, um, but they didn't realize that it was going to cause a massive storm in his life. And this could be pot- potentially one of the main reasons why he committed these murders later on. Um, so it is, uh, I can't really talk about that right now. And I want to so bad. Well, it sounds but, like he's like mm, developmentally impaired. So I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit just to set this, but I'm not going to tell you everything. So, uh, when Scott got apprehended and charged with these murders, his defense attorney 
was trying to push that Scott's neurodivergency, because he is diagnosed with autism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. He was pushing that being a reason why he committed these murders. Him being neurodivergent in the sense that he has autism. Right, but that's not typical yeah. character <sighs> of other neurodivergent, as far as I'm aware. Nope. Um, I mean, like, and, I know they, you know, they, sometimes they tend to not know their own strength when they're upset or whatever, right. but they don't, like, usually have the capacity to, to do murder. Was it premeditated? So, we're going to get into that. Because if it was premeditated, then that's not the same thing. So, I agree with you, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to punch his defensive attorney in the face, because he literally has no idea what he's talking about. Cool, cool. He's just, he's grasping for straws, trying to get this kid off free, even though... There's mountains of evidence stacked against him. Um, so let's talk about the murders now. Um, that's pretty much all the background that I need to give you because the murders are, uh, they're sick. Um, <laughs> they're really heavy. Sick like Ed Gein sick or sick like the, he thought about this a lot? Sick like he really thought this through. Okay. On December 31st, 2017, Linda and Steve Kologi, which is Scott's mom and dad, hosted a party at their house. Of course, this is New Year's, so everybody was getting lit. Okay, Scott and Jonathan. And Springs the, was lit. Everybody's getting lit. Everyone was lit. Yeah, Springs was lit. Um, Long Beach, whatever was this place? Yeah, Long no Long Branch, New Jersey was lit. <laughs> Long okay, Beach. Okay, Snooky. So you know, every everybody was lit. Okay, everything was was great. Okay. Um, they had created this party. They were super excited to have everybody here. They they were there. You know, Scott and Jonathan, the aforementioned brother, were present. The grandfather and his compare, companion, whose name was Mary Schultz, was also there. And another person that joined the pro- party was Scott and Jonathan's sister, Brittany, who was home from her first semester of college. And um, according to Jonathan, he said the hours leading up to the ball dropping was full of fun, laughter, and joy of spending time together as a family. And he said his family was always very fun and very close. So a very tight-knit family, very nuclear in terms of, mm-hmm. you know. Typical. A typical, well, not not nowadays, but, an, but a, a, 50s typical. A, 50s, <laughs> a 1950s typical family. Um, just very close, very loving, very supportive, you know, just outgoing, loving everything. The night went along without a hitch until Scott said he was going to retire to his room for a while. Now... Linda knew that her son had mental disparities, you know, a.k.a. That's what they called it, but it's neurodivergence, you know, autism. Right, right. Linda was growing concerned for Scott as the night seemed to progress, and it was getting closer and closer to the time where the ball was going to drop. They were wanting to spend that as a family. That was their tradition, and she was worried that, After he retired shortly, that something was going on, that maybe he was um, doing something he wasn't supposed to or getting into something. Yeah, so she was worried about that. Um, And up until that point, you know, he was was having some of these tendencies, these darker tendencies. So she got, she got worried. Okay. So are you going to get into the darker tendencies? Um, It doesn't really say a lot. It just says dark tendencies. Okay. um, From everything I can find. Um, but what I basically understand is the typical, um, teenage isolation, but to the nth degree. Okay. So he, 
You didn't so, see anything about like outbursts or anything so, like that. So I don't know exactly because the way that it's mentioned in a lot of the sources is very carefully worded mm-hmm. um, because of him being a person who is diagnosed with autism mm-hmm. and being neurodivergent. I don't know if they are saying that is in support of him having that autism diagnosis or if it's because he was having these dark things because, you know, well, I was just, I was just asking if it was like isolation or outbursts, because if it was outbursts, then it's possible that they were crimes of passion. But if it's not outbursts, then that seems to be against like that, that type of defense. So like I said, I don't know exactly what you would label this as. And this is where it kind of gets sticky because you're getting into the, are these darker tendencies as a real result of his mental disparities, his neurodivergence? Is, right, and then you yeah, don't want to associate with other neurodivergence being yeah, dark and yeah. generalizing. And, yeah, Right, so they didn't really go into a lot of detail about these these dark tendencies, but from what I'm assuming, it is the typical dark tendencies that you see with a lot of these teenage murderers who isolate get into some very dark things, dark topics, kind of obsessing over murder guns, weapons, blood, you know, things like that, that they almost kind of worship it as like a second idol. And where he was not really into a lot of things, his age, he might have taken these things and been like, oh, I'm interested in this. And this is around my age. And, you know, school shootings are happening. Right. And, you it know, made him he feel could, like mature in a way. Yeah. So I, I don't want to say it's exactly because of that, but I, I'm going to just assume um, based on what I was told. So less than an hour before the new year started. And again, Clogie was 16. He basically got into a point where he called his mother up to his room. He was calling her up there according to Jonathan, because he was saying, I need you up here. Can you come up here? Um, and Jonathan, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I get sick reading this. Jonathan was in his room under the blankets, calling his mom in. When then all of a sudden he pulled out a high powered weapon. Now this high powered weapon was a weapon that was stored in the home Stephen had stored this gun inside of the parents' house. Jonathan figured out where it was, figured out how to get the ammo, researched the gun, how to load it, researched how to kill people with this gun, the most effective way to do so. Everything was premeditated. He even went so far as to have earplugs put in to protect him from the sound of this high-powered weapon because he knew... That the sound was going to overstimulate him and cause huh. him to have problems. But the blood but spatter wouldn't? No. And, so, and the, the screaming and the... Oh. And even researched further, other than how to kill people, if that weapon would be effective against police officers, if they responded with bulletproof vests. Oh my god. So this kid really went through so, every okay. Even if he thing. didn't already... Based on what he's researched, even if he didn't have the emotional capacity to know he shouldn't murder, he had the the knowledge that it was illegal because he was fully expecting police retaliation. Yep. Okay. Continue. So all this was premeditated. 
and his search history indicated that it was all premeditated as well, and that these plans were going back weeks into months prior to the attack. Cool. So he called poor Linda Kaloki up into his room, and she, being the mother she was, was going in to take care of her son, was worried about her, him. He pulled out the rifle and then shot and killed her. Okay. Um, after the commotion had happened, Steve Kaloki, which is her dad, was running up the stairs to go and see what happened because, again, he just heard gunshots. Right. He didn't know if his son and wife were in danger. Or he what. didn't know if his son committed suicide. He didn't know if his wife got shot by her. He didn't know anything that was going on. Right. Well, I'm sure he didn't think that his son had killed his wife. I'm sure it was somebody's in the house. Right. So he went up, basically, and was going to investigate what was happening. Now, let me take a moment to go down backstairs before we talk a little bit more about Steve. Mm -hmm. Downstairs, you have Brittany, Grandma, Grandpa, and you have Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Who all also heard the gunshot. Who all also heard the gunshot. Jonathan is like, um, screw this, I'm getting out of here. Okay. Um, He basically, his, his fight or flight happened. And he said, I'm going to go on and go. He went through the front door. Right. Which, in the house, there's, like, the front door, and then the stairs to the right, and then on the left, there's, like, the family room, and then, like, a hallway leading to the kitchen. Yeah. So, he is, like, leaving and watching his dad go up the stairs, because he and his dad are running side by side. They both thought that, he thought dad was leaving as well, to get to safety, to call the ambulance and stuff. Right. But dad took a turn to go up the stairs, go investigate so his So the brother, wife. how old is the brother? Um, Jonathan is 10 years older than Scott. So at the time he was 26. So at the time did he have a family? Was he like, I, you know, I need to get out and be no. there for my family? Or no. was it just pure flight or flight? It was pure fight or flight from what I understand and from what I um, heard with his interview and his testimony. Um, it just sounded like he was just like, I got to get to a safe place. Um, so Jonathan went out the door, he shut the door behind him quickly, and then he watched through the glass to see what was happening Mm -hmm. in case he needed to report. Mm -hmm. Um, his grandma, grandpa, and his sister stayed in the kitchen and didn't move. They basically were just kind of standing there hanging out. And to this day, he doesn't understand why. They were Um, probably in shock. It's not flight or fight. It's flight, fight, freeze, and fawn. Yeah. So he basically was like... They froze. Um, they froze. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't, I just, I can't get over that. Um, so Jonathan is watching through the door, um, according to his testimony. And Steve is going up the stairs to go investigate and see what is happening with his wife. Now, upstairs, of course, you can probably understand that he saw his wife dead on the ground. Um, I'm pretty sure she was just shot dead there um, and was just like, oh, my God, my son just killed my wife. Now, according to what I understand is that Steve tried to talk to Scott to get him to put down the weapon Mm -hmm. and Scott fired and killed his dad instantly. Okay. So Steve and Linda are both dead at the top of the stairs. After that, um, Grandpa, Grandma, and Brittany get a little restless because they're no longer hearing Steve or Linda, but they do hear footsteps coming down. So they didn't hear that second round of firing? No, they did. 
Okay. They don't hear Steve, but they do hear footsteps coming down, and they're not sure what's going on, so okay, they're now staying at there. this point, Now, at this run. point, you would think, <laughs> like, I'm not victim-shaming, because, you know, things happen that tra- No, 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 no. I'm just saying that at this point, I would be like, oh, I'm gonna die, and sprint. <laughs> right. You, like, you would think that this would be, you know, the thing that, you know, causes you to just go on and get out of the house. Like, you don't know what's going on. You just need to go. Well, you would think that if you said the dad's name was Steve. Yeah. Well, you would think that if Steve had handled the situation, he would have called down or Said if it something. wasn't okay, been like, call 911 or there would have been some kind of something. Yeah. And the fact that they heard a second round being fired and, and no Steve, that would, yeah, that's just, it would tell me something is bad wrong. But, again, in the moment, you know, they might have been in shock. They might have been like, no, no, that's not what happened. I didn't hear it. He took the gun from the invader and he's gonna save us or whatever. Like, the the human mind does crazy things to justify what's happening. Right. So the family hears someone coming down the steps. They're not sure who it is. They're not sure if it's Steve, it's Linda, it's Scott. They don't know what's going on. At this time, Jonathan is seeing the footprints prince like the footsteps of his brother coming down so he ducks behind the door because he knows if scott sees him he's gonna shoot him Uh and he's like i need to get all this information so he ducks scott does not see him behind the door and after a couple seconds uh jonathan peeks by the door is watching scott go into wait i thought scott was the dad no steve's the dad scott is the son Sorry. sorry it's two s's okay yes scott is the son with the right with the assault rifle and earplugs and everything else and jonathan is like okay i'm gonna watch what's gonna happen next because i need to get all this information and i mean at that point you're just like what do i do i cannot do anything um so jonathan is watching through the door and he eventually is walking downstairs he goes into the kitchen and is seeing uh Mary Schultz, which is his grand, his surrogate grandmother, mm-hmm. Brittany, and his grandpa. Now, Mary is standing. Brittany, or Mary is standing in the kitchen. Grandpa is sitting at a chair, and Brittany is also standing. Okay. Um, Scott looks at Mary Schultz. Mary tries to say something to him, and he shoots her dead. Mm-hmm. And um, while she is flailing on the floor, he turns to Brittany and shoots Brittany um, I think they said three to four times, mm-hmm. killing her also. And while both the, and while, according to Jonathan, Mary stops moving and Brittany is writhing on the floor, um, you know, losing her life. Scott then turns to his grandpa. His grandpa, it puts his hands up in a defensive manner and is like, Scott, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. And Scott looks at his grandpa and does not shoot him. Now, according to... Other family members, Scott and his grandpa were probably the closest and had a better bond than anyone else in the house with Scott. Mm -hmm. And they think that he hesitated to kill him because of that bond. Mm -hmm. Um, So according to that, basically what happened is, is that um, things ended up happening. 911 ends up getting called. And unfortunately, um, after Kologi is detained... Um, it is found out that all four of the family members that were shot were killed on the scene Mm -hmm. and none of them had made it 
the only people who had made it were Jonathan and his grandpa who witnessed the murders firsthand. So the fact that he stopped with his grandpa shows that he had some emotional awareness. Right. Um, and we're going to get into that with the trial as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so unfortunately, like I said, Linda, Linda and Scott Kologi, Brittany Kologi and Mary Schultz all lost their life that night. Um, it is, it was told by the crime seed that Scott pulled the trigger 14 times and out of those 14 times 12 bullets had hit their victim so he only missed twice so it wasn't an automatic weapon it was a semi um i it just said a high powered assault rifle um so well i guess i guess an ar is an automatic i'm gonna assume it's like a semi just like a single round that's what i yeah that's because if he had to pull the trigger that many times it's obviously not a repeating yeah repeating batch yeah Okay, so... Which means that he cognitively pulled the trigger 14 times. He cognitively times. pulled the trigger 14 times. Cool. And only stopped until when he got to his grandpa, and his grandpa was pleading for his life, saying, you don't want to do this. hmm Okay. So, very heavy. Um, of course, Scott's... Uh, sorry. Of course, Jonathan and um, Kologi's grandfather, they are you know, scarred forever with this. And it took a lot for them to be able to um, kind of get to the terms where they could talk about this. Mm-hmm. And when Scott got put into jail, they couldn't understand why he was doing it, what his intentions were until it came out that he had been planning this for a while. And um, it eventually came out um, from a woman named Carol Kologi, which is Stephen Kologi. So Steve, the mm-hmm. dad, mm-hmm. his mother, um, Carol, the grandmother. Yes. Yeah, so Scott's dad's grandmom. So the grandmom, um, she asked if the judge could send him to a place where he could get help from mental illness. Carol asked that Scott get sent there because as opposed to prison. Yes. It came out that later on Scott was recognizing he needed help. And he had reported several times to not only his mother, but to school officials that he was having bad thoughts about killing people, including his family members, and was wanting to do it. Okay, so this is hard because he he asked for help. Like, it, uh, yes. people were aware that he was asking for help. And they should have acted on that. But at the same time, I'm real big on individual responsibility. And I understand that he was autistic, and it may not be fair to place this on him right. but i feel like if he could you know google how to murder and how to defend himself against the police and what the gun would do and how to use the gun and what ammo he needed and to wear earplugs that he could have googled therapy sessions or counseling or any help groups near his area or things like that as well right and this family was very supportive of him and obviously wanted to do everything that they could now, of course, the the dark thoughts and this stuff, this is obviously a red flag, and I don't know why his mom wouldn't... And this was 2017. This wasn't him. like, we don't say the word therapy. Right. This is, this is you know, the... the this is a big push for, for therapy. You know, the 2015 yeah. after is, you know, but especially since COVID, but this was before COVID and people still push for therapy and doing group sessions and being able to do that. And there are people who obviously can do 
therapy with someone who's neurodivergent and has well, autism. And even you- just going to like, I'm not saying that religion is a substitute for science or vice versa, but even if he had gone just, just like a, a confessional and just talked to somebody, somebody to listen to him. Would have done wonders instead of pinning it up and eventually snapping. Right. And it's just... But, again, was it snapping if it was premeditated? It doesn't seem like a crime of passion. No. I... My thought is, is that it's all premeditated. He was going to do this. Right. Now, he has already... He already admitted, according to his grandma, to his mom, that he was having thoughts about killing people. And that's including family members. He already wanted to take a life. Okay. So, that's big for nothing to have happened exactly that's what i'm saying like that's the red flag like he had already admitted to mom and that's a red tarp (laughs) yeah yeah like uh, this is like this is this laughter isn't insensitive i'm just kind of in shock no this is flashing arrows being like help this dude like he is going to kill someone it went from being like a flickering light to a neon sign real quick yeah like las vegas who like this is no but i mean like (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, this is why I'm saying this is ridiculous because this could have all been prevented, but it wasn't. Right. Like, well, also, though, like you said, the amount of school shootings and um, around that time was also the theater shootings and the nightclub shootings, right? Uh, so was it also close. just a cry for attention or was it purely, we think, mental or? Now, according to his defense lawyers, he they want to claim it's all mental, but I feel like it's I feel like it's more than just that. Now, this isn't me trying to be insensitive to the fact that he does have neurodivergence, like I said. And this is where it gets a little tricky, is because he does have that diagnosis. Right, well, and then there's the thing, but it's though, like, like on. so you know how people with physical disabilities, like, for instance, somebody in a wheelchair, if they need something on a mid or top shelf and I see that they need help, I could go over there and hand them the item and assume that they want my help. But at the same time, that's also... Um, what is it? In- infantilizing them and assuming that they, yeah. they can't manage it themselves. So there's a, it's hard to say where the line is in accommodating mental and physical right. issues without being degrading about it. Right. No, I, I totally get that. And you would think that after him seeking that sort of help from someone. Right. That he, he'd asked for help. I give him that. Like that they would have accommodated that because at that point it's not infantilizing. It's not degrading. It's not right. Putting him down. It's getting him the help that he's asked for. Right. Especially when it's not just like, Oh, I'm sad. It's like, I want to kill people. Like I am having these thoughts of murdering people, including people within our family. Like, and if he obviously discussed it with somebody, we might have known if it was attention or if it was emotional disconnect or if it was whatever. Right. And I don't, it just, it makes me sick thinking about it. Um, so, you know, this has been going on for the past five years and, um, eventually the trial came to a head on July 1st, 2022. Um, this is when Scott's sentencing happened. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically I just want to give you the defense for Scott and basically tell you what they wanted to say. Mm Mm-hmm. Their intention, according to um, Mark C. Lemieux, is the judge that handed down the sentence. 
is that the intention of the court is that the defendant never see the light of outside of a jail cell again because he believes that he did this all premeditated based on the facts. Right. Uh, and not only that, but it wasn't like random strangers. It was his family. It was his family. And if the people that he had an emotional connection to aren't safe, then random people aren't safe, you know? Right. Um, he, he, Lemieux also said, I hope one day you realize the magnitude of what you've done here um, mm-hmm. during his sentencing as well. Because this is the thing. Okay, Scott was 16 years old. He killed his 18-year-old sister, 44-year-old mother, 42-year-old father, and his grandfather's companion, who was 70 years old. Mm. So it's a wide range of people as well, Mm -hmm. which, in terms of age, so it's like, there's no, the only reason why he didn't kill his grandfather is because him and his grandfather had that relationship. it, It shows like a disregard for victim type. Yeah, so it's like, this is, this is not good. Um, and of course his defense attorney was asking that since their client has severe mental issues that led him to kill their family, they are asking, they had asked for just a basic sentence of 30 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically said he's a mentally ill child who begged his mother for help and never got it. Defense attorney Amika Nikuo, um, had said, which I, I understand that. Like I get where they're coming from with that. He did ask for help. He didn't receive it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this is all premeditated. This is New Jersey. This is New... Yeah, this is do in New you, Jersey. Do you know what the life sentence is for premeditated murder in Jersey? Because, um, like, yeah. I know some people are like, oh my god, they only got 25 years, and they don't realize that that is a life sentence to some states. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um, because-, because my thought would be one life sentence per life he took... And serve half in the mental health facility and serve half in prison. That way he gets help, but he also gets punishment. Like Right. He does the t- he did the crime, he does the time, but he also gets rehabilitated as Right, best because as he it can. was premeditated based on the fact that he researched how to use the weapon. So it later came out during the trial, um, that Kologi's mother, Linda, um, didn't want her son to tell his therapist that he thought about killing people because she was afraid he was going to be hospitalized so he, and did not want that. He did have a therapist. He did have a therapist. He told school officials, therapist, and his mother. And okay, mom so- didn't do anything, disregarded him, and told him to not tell the therapist because she didn't want him to be put on a 72-hour hold. Was the therapist, like, a, a licensed therapist, or was it, like, a school counselor? Because those are not the same thing. I'm gonna, <laughs> no, I'm gonna assume that it was a licensed therapist, because okay. it, if, it, if they had said school counselor, it would have been labeled as different, so I'm assuming it's that. Okay. Um, but, of course, the prosecution under Sean Brennan, he argued for a much stronger case against him having a longer sentence, and this is what Brennan said that I kind of agree with wholeheartedly. Um, these acts, these were acts of evil carried out by someone who knew exactly what he was doing. He killed them because he could. He killed them because he wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Like, I mean, I feel like that makes sense. If you have compelling, if you have a compelling piece of evidence showing that his history on his computer is showing you he is looking up how to do this. If it's effective against police, responding with tactical gear, mm-hmm. putting in earpieces because he knows the sound that this gun is going to make mm-hmm. is systematically picking off these people from people who were eligible to stop him to people who were not aka his mother father mm-hmm. his father was a byproduct but you knew he was going to go after him next after his mother yeah he'd already prepared for it yeah just like he'd, he'd prepared already prepared for, for it so i mean 
he and he beyond knew. beyond the compelling piece of evidence from his computer if your defense attorney says you asked for help because you wanted to kill people that you wanted to kill people like that's yes you didn't receive the help you asked for and that is awful for you but the fact remains that you wanted to do this right it was also later released in the court testimony that when scott was going to go down the stairs he just casually maneuvered around the bodies of his mother and father and he shot them in the dark he was in the dark of his bedroom shot both of them just casually got up, maneuvered around his bodies, walked down the hall, casually went into the kitchen, and just didn't even think. Just immediate. Um, so, I just... He had a mission. Mm-hmm. He had something in his mind. He knew what he was going to do. And he tried getting the help, but he he just, he, he just did it. He premeditated everything. Now, this is what his sentence was. So, according to um, New Jersey law, he was sentenced to 150 years in prison on the counts of four um, first-degree murder charges plus various other charges. And I think some of that was domestic um, threat or ter- domestic terrorism because of his search and history mm-hmm. and some other things. So, he was sentenced to 150 years in prison, but... Since this is New Jersey, there is a law that is called um, New Jersey's No Early Release Act, which basically means Kologi, he needs to serve at least 85% of his sentence, which is 127 and a half years mm-hmm. before he's even eligible for parole. Mm-hmm. So he's not getting out. No. He is, he is going to be in there for the rest of his life. Um, he is not eligible for parole. Um, and unfortunately, this is what Jonathan and his grandma or grandfather have to live with is they, is Koloki still alive or did he kill himself in prison? Um, as of today, he's still alive. I'm impressed. A lot of lifetime criminals won't stay in jail if they know they don't, or prison if they know they don't have a chance of getting out. He is still alive and, um, he is you know, like I said, his his sentence literally started July first, right, of this year. Um, so he is going to be in there for the rest of his life, pretty much. And Jonathan and his grandfather are still living through the effects and are still traumatized to this day. But according to the fam, those two, they still rely heavily on each other and love each other and have been rocks for one another during this entire process. And um, yes. Uh, grandfather, I don't think he testified on the stands. I think only Jonathan did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, just the strength of being able to do that while wa- looking at your brother, like testifying against. Right. Because again, him. it's not some random stranger. You now have to deal with the fact that like, oh, we have all these happy memories together right. and I love him and I thought I knew him and, you know, we played tag in the backyard and he killed our parents. Like, right. How do you even... And there's a there's a really split thing in the family from what I'm understanding. Like, the people who lived it obviously want Scott to go away for a long time, but other people sympathize with him. And we're wanting the defense attorney's plea to kind of come out that 30 years and get him rehabilitated. But unfortunately, um, either way, it still stands that four people lost their life that night and Scott Kologi 
was deemed um, premeditating these murders and was sentenced to 150 years. And like the judge said, the goal is to never let him see the light of day. Mm-hmm. And that is the story of Scott Kologi and the New Year's murders. Well, if you thought this was going to be a fun episode because of our <laughs> intro, <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. It's it's a lot. I mean, like, I, I have my notes in front of me and, like, I could just jump right in. But obviously I wrote these without knowing what you were going to say. So they're a lot lighter. Um, <laughs> I had well, to go there. <laughs> I, I hate that I'm laughing because it's terrible, but I... It's stress laughter. <laughs> it's, like, I I hate that I've got, like, the first episode is like, oh, there's a dancing lady. And, and the second episode, it's, this teenager killed everybody. And I'm like, <laughs> oh no. I'm like, oh my god. What have I gotten myself into? What have I done? I'm like, I gotta do a light one, so I think next episode I'm gonna do something a little lighter. Okay, well... Okay, so first episode, my notes were pretty short, pretty brief. Um, this episode, they're not. So we kind of both deviated from the first episode. So if you wanted more of that, good luck. <laughs> well, I'm here for it. I'm super excited about hearing about your cryptid. Okay. So I would consider this a cryptid. Okay. Doesn't mean it is. Um, <laughs> this is one that I'll be releasing, like, how I'm going to justify that it's a cryptid um, mm-hmm. on Patreon. But I'll mention it briefly, like, throughout, and if you're interested and you want to know more, we have our Patreon set up, and like I said, I have almost two dozen sources for this topic, so Jesus those will be- Jesus Christ! Those will be on Patreon, literally last count was 23, <laughs> so I'm oh so shy. I love how- I, we talked about this earlier, I was like, I loved how we flipped places and you, like, threw up all these sources, and I have, like, seven- <laughs> Um, and For my first one, I had like three, and then I had three podcasts. And <laughs> and this one, I literally have like seven. And the main one, my main one, is New York Post. New York Post, and that's pretty much it. Oh my god! Um, and Wikipedia because I needed some backstory. I needed some lore you on Scott Galloway. Not lore. So you know the trick to um, citing Wikipedia and looking much smarter than that. <laughs> Seriously. Looking much smarter than that? Looking smarter than citing Wikipedia. Yeah, it's Google Scholar. No. You use Wikipedia, and then when it has the little bracket, and it says one, two, three, four, you scroll down to their references and find one, find two, three, the four, reference. and cite their references. <laughs> right? But the thing is, is that I was that like... done that. I was like, you know, long are the days where I care. If Same. I cite Wikipedia or not, because guess what? It still has some pretty great information on there. Well, yeah, and you know full well if anybody's like, I'm going to fact check you and they Google it, the first thing that they're going to look at is Wikipedia anyway, so. Right. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to do something special for New Year's. Woohoo. So, what's the most, or maybe only, well-known New Year's cryptid? Are you asking me? I'm asking everyone. Do you have a thought? Um... I don't know about cryptid per se. I can think of like folklore or okay. things like that. Okay. Um, shoot. There's that one. Th- no. I think in Irish culture, there's like a fae that comes during New Year's. 
I think. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I'm not Irish enough to tell you. Um, <laughs> but Irish enough. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm only 22% according to 23 and me. But, or no, sorry, Ancestry, wrong website. Um, I think there's that. And I'm trying to... The only other thing I can think of is, like, the New Year. Like, Chinese New Year. Uh-huh. Or... Uh, go with that. Go with Chinese New Year? Uh-huh. Okay. Zodiac. Uh-uh. Um, well, yes, but no. Well, what the hell? Okay. It's the Chinese dragon. Oh, the little the little puppet thing, the, the one in Mulan where the people were underneath it and it caught on fire? Well, that's part of the dragon dance that they do in New Year's, but yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, Sorry. Chinese New Year is a little bit different than the American New Year, um, calendar-wise, because they use the Gregorian calendar and yes, they do. the phases of the moon um, during so late smart. January to late February. Mm-hmm. But this is releasing in the month of January, so Wait a minute. I'm going to count it. Wait a minute. Hold on. Pause. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to keep derailing. So this, their new year happens late January and it goes all the way into February? Yes. So it's like a month. Yes. Okay. Cool. I didn't know that. I don't know if it's just like a calendar month and they celebrate on one day or if they celebrate throughout the month. Kind throughout of like the month. Hanukkah style. I'm not totally sure because I researched the dragon and not the festival. Okay, cool. Continue. Sorry. Okay, so I'm going to shut up. Dragons are something that I'll probably touch on again um, yes. because several ancient cultures have versions of them and mm-hmm. they're all like a little bit different and a little bit similar. Um, and to me, it's fascinating how like the geographical and cultural differences manifest in their dragons because those are beasts both of legend and of culture and of folklore and of fear which is a hugely cultural thing and not to mention if they ever found fossil evidence of dinosaurs they would be different based on the regions they're found in which might be why dragons are different in different regions mm. and i mean you know if you didn't know that a dinosaur bone was a dinosaur bone and you found a dinosaur bone you might call it a dragon that's true i mean that that's very fair that said we will get into some symbolism religion and lore first Um, because this is something indigenous to China and we are not Chinese. Um, and I wanted to mention some of what I've found because to ignore that felt kind of like erasure because it's significant to them for those reasons. Right. Um, and then we'll get into like actual accounts and, you know, the more cryptid side of it. Yeah. So we're doing this for appreciation, not appropriation. Yes. Trying to. Right. Um, and I looked up phonetic pronunciations and I wrote them phonetically in parentheses beside the actual word. Um, but if I mispronounce something or if I misrepresent something and there are any indigenous listeners out there or listeners from that culture, um, please feel free to correct me and I will try to mention it um, in future. But I did try. <laughs> so Chinese dragons, which are known as Loon or Lung or Lung, Um, but for the purposes of this, we're going to call them Loon, uh, are associated with the elements. Some sources even saying that the indigenous pronunciation of that name mimics the rolling sound of thunder. Hmm. As the most important element was rain. Due to the necessity of a successful agriculture in such a populous country, because China is massive, um, so, like, food is necessary (laughs) right 
And then um, they're also associated with things that revolve around water and storms like wind, thunder, lightning, rain, water, um, tides, things like that. Mm -hmm. So one source I found said that around the introduction of Buddhism, um, travel between China and India was starting to take off. um, And around that time, there came to be four dragon kings each controlling some elements commonly believed to be found in or around water sources. And for China, they pertained to a specific sea, which we now know that two of those seas are lakes. Um, they were Ao Guang, Ao Quin, Ao Shun, and Ao Run. Mm-hmm. The association with the water-dwelling snakes called Lun shows up in Buddhist scriptures, predating the Chinese dragon kings. So that's not to say that they, like, stole that from Buddhism or anything, but that maybe Traveler's Tales influenced the invention of them. Right, it was inspired. Because there are several other types of loon under the umbrella. Mm-hmm. In fact, one source said that there are 54 dragon kings Ooh. and 62 dragon gods. Oh, wow. And then that's not to mention the fact that there are different types of dragons in art, in um, astronomy, in, like, each different thing has its own subset of common dragons, essentially. So I'm not not saying that Buddhism brought dragons to China. But you think, but it's, it is, it could be heavily influenced by yeah, yeah. Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So we're getting ready to discuss the dragon kings. Um, they differ a little bit, uh, and some sources mentioned a center because they, they correlate to North, East, South, and West. Some sources mentioned a center and some didn't. Um, so I omitted that King because I couldn't find a correlation to a body of water for him. They tended to correlate him to the emperor and the dragon did become a symbol of the emperor, but he's not a dragon actually. So I didn't cover it. So Guang or the Azure Dragon, is the ruler of the East China Sea. Azure means blue, or blue-green. Blue tends to represent health, peace, and or growth. Um, and Guang represents spring. So he was likely turned to most during planting seasons um, or in times of sickness. He's regarded as one of the most powerful symbols because, again, growth and, and all that spring represents for an agricultural country. And he is also an astrological symbol. Ao Qin, or the Red Dragon, is the ruler of the South China Sea. Red represents good fortune, luck, and celebration, and is mm. commonly a color worn at weddings and festivals. So when you think of the typical Chinese festival and the, the dragon, like you were talking about in Mulan, the puppet, yes. It tends to be red because they're celebrating and they want to bring in good fortune and luck for the new year. Okay, that makes that makes sense. And uh, in Chinese culture, your marital dress is typically, from what I understand, red. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Cool. So he personifies, or well, not personifies because he's not a human. I think there's a word for that, but I can't think of it right now. Um, so he represents embodies. Embodies, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Success in summer. People turn to him to help ward off disasters and bring peace, worshiping him and paying their respects through the dragon dance. Oh, so with the puppet. Mm-hmm. 
Well, not the puppet. The, I guess, likeness. Yeah, I don't... Well, like... I don't want to call it puppet, because it's not necessarily a puppet, but, like... But it is... Like, we call, you know, likenesses in our parades floats, because yeah. they're on moving but it's platforms. Not a, but that's not a float. It's on, right. it's on people. So I guess puppet... Well, uh, it's being manipulated, so that's a puppet, right? I'm going to assume puppet. <laughs> I'm going to say puppet. Not in a disrespectful way. No, but like, but like in a, in, in a identi- in identifier. Yeah. Like. Okay. So Al Shun, or the Black Dragon, is the ruler of the North China Sea. The Black Dragon is a symbol of vengeance. Oh, okay. Catastrophe. And the essence of winter. Remember, agriculture is of utmost importance, and winter brings a halt to that. Mm-hmm. If you don't have enough food to survive the winter, if the winter comes early, if the winter is too harsh, if the winter lasts too long, it ruins your planting season, it decreases your food stock, it decreases livelihoods, uh, civilian security, it, it, it threatens the entire nation. Right, like Aesop fables, the ant and the grasshopper. Right, and especially in ancient culture when there wasn't like mass shipping and mass production, and oh, we don't have to grow food, we can, you know, get it from America. Right. So... Not that you should get food from us. Don't don't do that. <laughs> right, but this is this is bef- this was before um, industrialization and the opening of trade routes and things like that. Where right? Hey, you have the brain cell tonight. Can I have it back? Look, I <laughs> I got I, it is rubbing itself together to keep itself warm in this cold brain of mine. Cricket I'm, feet. <laughs> cricket feet. Yeah, cricket feet. it's cricket feeting right now. Okay. So if the black dragon wasn't given proper sacrifice, he might make winter longer. How nice of him. And I tried to look up mortality and fatality ratings in ancient China during the winter. And I couldn't get a clear answer, so I didn't put them in. But mm-hmm. just just basically, more people died in winter than in any other season. Oh, damn. So, fun fact that I hope doesn't get us in trouble. Members of the triad often the what? have triad. What is that? They often have Alshan tattooed on them. So the triad is an international crime syndicate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically the Chinese mafia. Cool. It's one of the largest, oldest, and most prolific uh, crime syndicates in the world. Oh, neat. It was even a secret society in ancient China. Oh, that's interesting. And keeping in mind that China is the oldest nation, they know what they're doing. They've had time to learn some things. Right. They're very professional at what they do. Mm -hmm. And they believe in vengeance pretty hardcore, so don't slight them. Oh, cool. Now, obviously, not everybody you see with a black dragon tattoo is a member of the triad. Plenty of white guys think that they're cool with them, like... (laughs) But... (laughs) That's interesting, though. I didn't even know that that was a thing. So that's that's neat to know. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of deep cultural symbolism in that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of spanned, you know, millennia. Well, not millennia, but, you know. Well, yeah, because dragons are represent power, no matter the type, you know. And so to, be, to have power and vengeance essentially branded on your forehead. Um, basically means you're not someone you want to be messing with. It's like the equivalent of a biker gang walking in. You just... Be real quiet and leave. You just, you, you just <laughs> mind your business. You mind your business, okay? Focus on you. <laughs> so, focus on you. <laughs> so, Al Run, or the White Dragon, 
Okay. Is the ruler of the West China Sea, embodying purity, virtue, and autumn. Like fall? Yes. Oh, cool. But I was trying to make us sound smarter than that. Because everybody's like, mm, in England, they say autumn. And Americans say fall because leaf fall down. Yeah, it do fall down. <laughs> <laughs> it fall to the ground. Look, okay, I appreciate a good autumn and a good harvest, you know, all that fun stuff. But it's fall in the south. Anyway, I'll run. I'm sorry, I short-circuited <laughs> It's too late for this. Because I was going to be like, well, we can call it whatever we want because we do more farming and are more in um, involved with that type of lifestyle so than anyone China. I've ever heard of from England. <laughs> <laughs> like, give me a Londoner and I bet they don't know how to drive a tractor. A what? Londoner? Londonite? Londoninian? A, a London dweller. I thought that was a type of farm equipment. I was like, what kind of farm equipment are you using? <laughs> a Londoner? Yeah, it's called a peasant. <laughs> hey, we got rid of that when we moved here. No, we didn't. <laughs> I'm still a peasant. <laughs> I mean, I am too, but, you know. Okay. Okay, um, the white dragon. I'll run. Yes, so proud of you. So I couldn't find much on him, and he seems to also exist in Korean mythology. Oh, and cool. I didn't want to get the information mixed up. Um, but autumn in China has associations with courage, mm -hmm. melancholy. Oh. I get that. Have you ever stood outside at like 7 a.m. when it's starting to be fall, mm -hmm. and the wind blows just a little bit? It does mm -hmm. something to me, and I can't identify it. And I think it's like a deep primal awareness that food's getting ready to be scarce. But um, yeah, I can see that. So courage, melancholy, dreams, and visions. So hmm. it's traditional to wear white for events like funerals to represent spiritual purity. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine uh, this may be incorrect. This is me speculating. People call on our run most. Um, not only during autumn, but in memory of ancestors. Mm. And I know, like, ancestral recognition and stuff is largely important in that culture. And I'm assuming that's where he's so connected to, like, the spiritual and visions and basically, like, connected with the spirit side. Yeah, like, communicate with the ancestors before you make a big decision and stuff. Huh. Which they do briefly mention that in Mulan as well, don't they, at the beginning? She's like, I've dishonored the ancestors. Yeah, communicating through incense. incense I almost said incest. <laughs> communicating through incense. And um, she ha she's calling upon Mushu mm -hmm. to talk with the ancestors. Um, so, yes. Yeah, sorry, I like Disney a lot. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so, those were the four Dragon Kings. And okay. Now, we're going to get a little bit more general. So Loon were so important that there were temples devoted to them. People living near waterways tended to worship them. Mm -hmm. um, they would leave offerings and things like that. They're just as spiritually important as culturally. And some Loon were even believed to live with the gods and be uh, among the gods. 
government officials and citizens alike would turn to them in times of need, um, with government officials even like having ceremonies at these temples to, to give the offerings and things um, in times of need. Kind of like a, a, a morale thing, kind of like when the president cuts the red ribbon or whatever. Right. So cities near water would have temples to the kings and leave offerings there. Loon are represented on pre-modern and post-modern art. Um, so they've been around for a long time. They're celebrated annually during the Dragon Test. That was supposed to say Dragon Festivals, um, but apparently it was autocorrected. To testicles. <laughs> oh, I love Dragon Testicles. Yeah, I bet you want to sniff them, don't you? Hey. Hey. <laughs> I just need you to know that I don't know if I'm going to take that out. And if I do take it out, I'm not explaining shit. <laughs> I hope you don't. I'm giving it to the patrons like it is, and they can ask you questions about I it. can't wait to answer them. <laughs> I can't wait to embarrass myself. It is what it is, okay? Celebrated annually during the Dragon Festivals and are still talked about from fables, legends, and cautionary tales. They also persist as astrological symbols. They're paid homage to through names. Mm -hmm. And they're mentioned frequently in turn of phrase or idioms. Mm. So, loon are typically seen as lucky or good, um, but they vary, and they have different personalities and moods depending on the story, the type, the interaction, um... Just like humans and just like the representatives of the elements that they are. Yeah, like Alshun. Yeah. The, that's the black dragon of vengeance, correct? Mm, yes. Okay. I was like, yeah, like him. He's he's vengeance and then you've got one that's... Purity. Purity. Luck, one yeah. that's courage, or not courage, but celebration. So, despite their temperament, they're still powerful and noble and mm -hmm. still to be respected no matter what. Um, due to this, they became a symbol of the emperor. Um, he specifically tended to use the yellow dragon during Imperial China. The New World Encyclopedia article states, quote, Some have suggested that the Chinese dragon came from totems of different tribes in China. It shaped the combination of totems as the result of the merging tribes. Scholars report that the first legendary emperor of China, Huang Di, Yellow Emperor, used the snake for his coat of arms. Hmm. Every time he conquered another tribe, he incorporated his defeated enemy's emblem into his own, which may explain why the dragon appears to have features of various animals, end quote. That would make sense. So Con it's said to have, like hawk claws and like the face of an alligator and sometimes it has the beard of a goat and yeah so they basically are implying that it's from other tribes like taking a token yeah yeah so kind of like um how the celtic tend to do family crests yes i almost like combining a crest over time cool well i mean that would make sense if you've you've conquered a place and you're you were bringing that into your you know, your your plethora of land. Right. Or, you know, you're adding it to your your spoils. You would want to, you know, show off and be like, yo. Right. I got the drag I got the goat beard now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Almost like um calling to arms your banners or whatever. Yes. So in fact, because the dragon became a symbol of the Emperor, civilians were not allowed to use dragons in art 
during the imperial time. Well, that kind of sucks. Well, because it was above them. They were peasants and it was for nobility. Yeah, but dragons are cool. Dragons are cool as hell. So, that brings us to the next very brief edition. Um, that there are nine classical types of loom and art. So, like I said, there are different types based on what you're looking at. Cool. So, Tain Loom, the Celestial Dragon, the Guard of the Heavens. Shen Loom, the Spiritual Dragon, Master of Storms and Rain. Fu Kang Loom, the Dragon of Hidden Treasures, Keeper of All Buried Treasures. Di Loom, the Underground Dragon, he protects waterways and passages. Mm. Ying Loom, the Winged Dragon, is the only winged dragon in Chinese mythos that I could find. And a rain deity. Zhao Lung, the horned dragon, is a legendary river dragon and has a deep sea submarine named in honor of it. That mm. was, I think it was in 2013, 2015. Um, but it can go deeper than submarines previously and they expect to be able to pre- explore about 98% of the ocean with it. Oh, that's sick! Pan Lung, the coiling dragon, inhabits the waters and is said to show itself every 12 years. One source said the Coiling Dragon controls time. This may also be why Year of the Dragon is every 12 years in the uh, Zodiac, the Chinese Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Huang Lung, the Yellow Dragon, which emerged from the River Lao to show Fuxi the elements of writing. And the Dragon King, aka the Dragon God, is God of Chinese elements and weather. Mm. So those were your types in art. The kings were your types in worship. And there are 14 types of dragons found in other practices of worship. And I'll be quoting from Leon Long's article in China Educational Tours. Uh, The article is titled, Everything You Want to Know About Dragon Worship in China. And, And he did a fantastic job surmising them. And he's way more informed on this than I am. So we're just going to quote him straight out because I don't want to misinterpret anything. So Zulong, or the Candle Dragon, is also known as Zu Yin, or the Illuminating, I'm sorry, or Illuminating the Darkness, was known to have a human face and the body of a snake, which sounds mildly terrifying. Just a little. That sounds like a cryptid. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah. (laughs) So the Candle Dragon bestowed day and night upon the land by opening and closing its eyes. That's kind of badass though right it reminds me of um like egyptian mythology where day and night were two separate entities and they yeah and also controls the seasonal winds by breathing <laughs> it neither ate nor drank nor slept cool. so it's got that insomnia i love that i re- i feel connected to that one uh-uh. just for that reason sorry i like that kulong or kuilong um is a black creature like a cow with no horns and only one leg. It brought wind and rain when it went in and out of water. It can be seen in the decoration of Chinese bronzes from the Shang Dynasty, mm-hmm. which is 1600 to 1046 BCE, um, which became a popular motif on archaistic wares and a variety of media. The Kuilong motif consists of abstract geometric dragons interwoven in a continuous twisting design. So that's the one that I think is seen most often modernly. Mm-hmm. Your most modern representation of dragons is that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. So Tain Lung, the celestial dragon, guarded the heavenly places 
I'm sorry, the heavenly palaces and pulls divine chariots. Shenlong is the thunder god. He controls the weather and has the appearance of a human head, dragon's body, and drum-like stomach. I don't know if that just means it's stretched real taut or is like massively round. You know how we describe some people as barrel-chested? All right. Fu Kang Long means the underworld guardian of precious metals and jewels and is associated with volcanoes. So kind of similar to Hades in Greek mythos. Um, volcanoes are said to be created when they burst out of the ground to report to heaven. Oh. It's kind of like the Tower of Babel is trying to reach to yeah. heaven. And this is not me referencing other cultures and other commonly known things is not to discredit Chinese culture or anything like that. It's just to give people, um... Like an idea. Like of... a point of relation. Right. Yeah. Like a comparison. No. no, that makes sense. You're not appropriating it. You're just, you're just, just, you're helping people understand, like, to appreciate the culture. So Dai Long, or the Earth Dragon, is the controller of rivers and seas, but it's named the Earth Dragon. I don't, I don't know. It spends springtime in heaven and autumn in the sea. So it's cyclical, it looks like. Yinglung, the dragon with wings, is associated with rains and floods. It helped Huangdi, the yellow emperor, to defeat Qi Yu, the tribal leader that was regarded as the ancestor of the Hmong people. Mm -hmm. One legend states that Yinglung also helped Dai Yu, the first king of the Xi dynasty, 2070 to 1600 BCE, to stop the Yellow River from flooding by digging long channels with his tail. That all of that is quoted in this um, Leon Long's article, so I had to say all of that. Jiao <clears throat> Long, the hornless or scaled dragon, is known as the leader of all aquatic animals. So he's like Poseidon, but cooler. <laughs> <laughs> he's a more dope Poseidon. <laughs> <laughs> so dope. So Pan Long, the lake dragon, was said that it did not ascend to heaven. That's sad. That's depressing. That's sad. Wait, hang on. We're just gonna we're just gonna pretend. <laughs> that's the only. That's line. the only thing. That's the only line. So it got left behind. I don't know if it's like a protector of the lakes, a protector of the people, just hanging out watching the humans. It literally just says Panlung, the lake dragon, was said that it did not ascend to heaven. That's all I've got. Oh, I love Panlung. Poor Panlung. I, I, I want to like take Maybe care of it. Maybe it's Mushu. I want to take care of it. <laughs> Huang Lun, or the yellow dragon, is the hornless dragon. Images of the yellow dragon were strictly and exclusively used by emperors. Fei Lung, the flying dragon, is a winged dragon that rides on clouds and mist. Oh, that's dope too. Qin Lung, or the green dragon, is associated with the east and the Chinese four symbols, along with the phoenix, unicorn, and tortoise of mythological creatures in the Chinese constellations. So, it's an, astro- an astrological symbol. Huh. Quilung, which is not Kinlung, which I just said previously. Quilung is the curling dragon and is a horned dragon. That's also all he gets. So, him and Penglung are... I feel so bad. They're not the favorite children. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> they're all important. That's not fair. Chilung. A hornless dragon is a deity of water and can be found on roofs to prevent fire. So, um, you know how... So it's a firefighter. You know how we have gargoyles on, like, some really immaculate structures and they're basically downspouts of gutters? Yes. Have you ever seen dragons serve that purpose on, like, Chinese roofs? Um, no, but that sounds amazing. You've never seen Avatar The Last Airbender? 
Oh, yes. Yes, then. They're essentially gargoyle downspouts, but they're <laughs> dragons because of Jilung. That's sick. That's sick. Right. And now I'm, I know a lot of these names sounded similar and some of them did repeat, but so you had the types of the dragon kings, you had the types classically found in art, and then you had the types um, classically found in practices of worship. Some of them did overlap and some of them had similar traits, but they are all different cultural purposes. Right, but that doesn't mean that just because you can find one in art and one in worship, that's wrong. You can worship something through art as well. Right, right. I just didn't want the information to sound super redundant. So that is absolutely not a complete history of their significance. (laughs) But China is the oldest country in the world. And uh, not only is that a ton of information and could be several hours long, but I'm white. (laughs) (laughs) And oh my I, gosh. I don't think that I would do it proper justice, um, especially where I am searching from uh, America. Most of my results are pulling up articles by Americans or by American posts. Um, so I'm not sure how accurate all of my information would be. And I don't want to discredit or misinterpret anything by getting too deep into it. So I just kind of went with generalizations. Um, mm-hmm. But that being said, if we do have indigenous listeners and they would like to send me any more information on this or any articles that they trust as being genuine or whatever, um, this is an, honestly a topic that I could cover every New Year's and still give you new information on because it's literally thousands of years old. Yes, that'd be so dope. I would love to be able to, even if it wasn't New Year's, just... Sprinkling some dragon history. Right. Dragon like, fun facts. <laughs> like, I would love that. That's so, like... But, I mean, like you said, dragons, they're not only mentioned in Chinese culture. Like, they're all throughout everywhere. But China is obviously the OG people with, you know, the dragons. So, if any kind of information would be sick to learn even more about. So that email is crooksandcreeps at gmail.com. <laughs> Send us your information now. Inform me. Make sure that you cite your sources. <laughs> so you can just put in a link. That's all I'm doing for my side of the sources. Let's be real. <laughs> so, um, actually, I swear to God, my Gmail notification just went off. <laughs> no, it didn't. Okay. Did it, it actually? It, it really did. My phone buzzed. Oh my gosh. It's a sign. Okay, so that was the cultural appreciation section. Now we're going to get into the cryptid section. Sick. Yeah, there's so much that went into this. I'm so sorry. It's okay. (laughs) I'm just curious how many pages we went through already. Okay, so this is divided into three groups. I think we've been through four. I think there are six. What? There's four groups? No, there are three groups. Four pages. Oh. We've done six pages total. Oh, cool. So I grouped these as ancient sightings which is uh, B.C. Modern sightings, which is A.D., but older than America. Mm-hmm. And then, I'm sorry, not modern sightings, historic sightings, which is A.D., but older than America. And then modern sightings, which are within the last 200 years or so. Wait, pause. Is this why you asked me if I would consider ancient before Christ? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. This sounds oddly familiar to a I conversation we've had. Okay, so ancient sightings. Okay. There are less accounts of sightings in ancient times, but just as much evidence. Okay. One of the earliest known totems comes from the Hongshan culture, 
which was classified as circa 4,500 BC to 3,000 BC, and depicts something called a pig dragon. Pig, P-I-G, pig dragon. Okay. Which seems to be the typical algamation of a dragon and other animal influence, resulting in a loom with a boar-like head. Oh, cool. Huandai is another Neolithic-era culture that has dragon art and records of their offspring worshipping the dragon through archaeological evidence such as the dragon-shaped stone pile in Xinglonghua culture, which is 6,200 to 5,400 BCE. Oh my gosh. The Met Museum in New York has a metalwork applique of a dragon figure from the <laughs> Shang Dynasty with a dated estimation of 13th to 11th BCE, though it is not currently on display. Dang. Currently being uh, December 2022. I don't know if they took it out for restoration or if it's part of like a cyclical thing that they do. Yeah, that would make sense. China's Institute of Archaeology and Academic Research has an article by Binan that states, quote, During the Song Dynasty, artists began to specialize in drawing dragons, such as Dong Yu, Wang Zindou, and Hua Huai from the Northern Song Dynasty, uh, 960 to 1127, and Qin Rong, Ai Shu, Seng Fa Cheng from the Southern Song Dynasty, 1127 to 1279. And I'm assuming that's AD. Yes. Okay. I'm just assuming because it go up. Because it go up and not down. (laughs) That's why I had to stop. I was like 960. I was like, (laughs) okay. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Historic sightings from Eric Ralton's article. Did Marco Polo encounter dragons in China? He wrote a book about this. I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not laughing to discredit it. I'm just like, what does Marco Polo have to do with dragons? He wrote a book about it. I hate Marco Polo. <laughs> this article was um, from the, power, the Paranormal Scholar. It's a website. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, quote, in 1271, a 17-year-old Marco Polo set off from Venice with his father and uncle for Asia. It was during his travels over the next few years that Marco Polo supposedly encountered oriental dragons. Oriental is their word, not mine. Now, I don't know how to do this because when you quote a quote written, it's an apostrophe. It's a quotation, your words, and then an apostrophe, and the quote you're putting within the dialogue. Yes. I can't do that. This is a radio show. It's all audio. So just say you're quoting this from a quote. It's a quote from a quote within a quote by the quote. Uh, so within Eric Ralton's <laughs> quote, Marco Polo is quoted from his book that Eric and Ralton used in his research saying, whatever, you get it. I understand. The quote is... I'm, I'm following. Yes, I'm following. <laughs> the quote is, you may be assured that some of them are 10 paces in length. Some are more and some are less. They have two forelegs near the head, but for foot, nothing but a claw like the claw of a hawk or that of a lion. The head is very big, and the eyes are bigger than a great loaf of bread. Yes, sir. The mouth is large enough to swallow a man whole, and is garnished with great teeth. End quote. Oh, okay, Marco Polo do be be dope with those, with those, uh, shoot. Hang on, did he use like or as? Similes. 
He didn't use like her eyes. Nothing but claw like the claw of hawk. So he's been using some pretty good similes in that. He is, he's, he's doing pretty good with his writing, man. Mm -hmm. Apparently he has a whole book. Good for him. And and then Eric Routon continued, quote, Despite Polo's accounts having been previously criticized for being overly fanciful and possibly fraudulent, modern studies have revealed that his travels are remarkably accurate. Details such as currencies used, salt productions, and revenues have been proven to be not only accurate, but unique to Polo, with such detailed descriptions not being found in other non-Chinese sources of that time. End quote. Okay, so basically, we all know Marco Polo is a... I don't want to say this and it be taken the wrong way, but... He's dead, it's fine. He's dead, but so whatever. <laughs> but he is, he is one of, like like Routon says, he's very fanciful. He likes to hyperbole everything. Mm-hmm. He makes everything mystical. Right, and the language of the time was very flowery and yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he make, he's making sure that he's making this book of his look like a bouquet of roses with how he's saying things but but then Routon goes on to say but then it's saying it's truthful and it's accurate that's the part that's got me all kinds of messed up because it's like okay if all that is accurate then it would be it would be you know common sense to essentially like he was writing historical fiction He could. Like, he could have been using real basis and then adding in details later on that were just extra for, like, flavoring, like, world building. Right. But either way, Marco, Marco got me messed up right now. So, some have said that he was describing a Chinese crocodilian, so I went and looked these bad boys up. They tend to be smaller than American alligators, typically around 5 feet in length and about 50 pounds. Obviously, there are outliers, and they may be up to 8 feet and 85 pounds. Right. Um, but that's not typical. That's also not 10 paces. <clears throat> right. <laughs> According to uh, Homeboy Polo. Which means that he likely wasn't describing a crocodile. Because uh, they have chunkier heads than mm-hmm. American alligators, and they have some bony plate plating around their eyes and stomach that our alligators don't have, but it's nothing that, like protrudes excessively mm-hmm. um their mouths and eyes are way too small to match what polo was describing and they have four legs f-o-u-r not four legs f-o-r-e which he said so they have polo was saying it was a two-legged creature and crocodiles have four legs <laughs> they seem to be um largely nocturnal and tunnel dwelling so the odds of him seeing it as a crocodile, are not very high. Um, though it is unclear if they were always this way or if it's due to human intervention um, as they've been hunted for traditional medicine, meat and skin, coupled with the decline of their natural habitats due to pesticides, fertilizers, and industrialization, they are critically endangered. No. With fewer than 150 existing in the wild. Oh my lord. They can reproduce until around age 50. But most won't live that long outside of rehabilitation facilities. That's so sad. If you're interested and would like to help the conservation effort in any way, I recommend visiting china.wcs.org. They have options from monetary donations to volunteer work, project sponsorship, and equipment donation. Um, Raising awareness is also just a big part of it. 
The Chinese crocodile is not the only critically endangered indigenous animal, um, and they're making efforts to conserve most of them. So you can find out more again at china.wcs.org. Hmm. So anyway, that account, Mar uh, Marco Polo's account was in 1271. Basically, he was saying he saw a dragon. I looked up to see if it was a crocodile, and it doesn't match what he was describing, but he could have just been making it exaggerated. Oh, that's so sad, though. <clears throat> the next example of a historic sighting is from the book The Troubled Empire by Timothy Brooke. Quote, The first dragon to show itself during the Yuan Dynasty did so in 1292. The dynasty's second dragon was sighted just a year later, just before noon on August 25th, of 1293. So in two years, they've had two sightings. Thunder, lightning, and a sudden gust of wind announced the arrival of the dragon. And not just one dragon, but two. The dragon lord and his young son. Okay. End quote. So Brooke is an awarded, published historian, having graduated from Harvard, Toronto, specializing in Sinology, um, which is the study of China. And he holds the Republic of China chair... Department of History, University of British Columbia. Oh, so he knows what he's talking about. He's, yeah, he is an accredited, valid source. All right. <laughs> so the next one is from the North China Herald and the Supreme Court and Consular Gazette. On May 11th of 1889, mm -hmm. quote, At Sifu, a village about 30 li from Nanshang, the capital of Jansi, a white dragon was seen on 12th April. It was quite white, with scales two feet in size, with horned head, claws, and a long tail. This instance seems too well authenticated to allow us to doubt. End quote. All right. So it's a white dragon. It's a white dragon. So it's um, Alrun. Alrun. I'll, I'll, I don't want to say that wrong. Alrune. Yes. <laughs> I'm Run. learning. I'm a scholar. <laughs> <laughs> I can't with you. <laughs> I'm getting there. Okay. <clears throat> Modern sightings. April 2013. A dragon is spotted swimming through clouds in Zhang, China. I'm sorry, what? Swimming. Through clouds? Yeah. So, you know, they don't... Chinese, loon typically don't have wings. They just kind of slither. Yeah, like a snake. You know how snakes can climb trees without having legs? Yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so it's swimming through the clouds. I love and hate that, but don't, that's okay. Don't fight my terminology. I'm not... I'm not fighting that. I'm fighting the image of, of a snake in my head that's larger than my house. But it's okay. This dragon may be summoning rain for its supplicants. As in the video, there's a video. <gasps> it looks very much like a storm is coming in. Posted to YouTube by user SuperVegeta1089. That's Vegeta. Whatever. From Dragon Ball. Okay, I didn't try to pronounce that one correctly. Uh, you loser. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was mean. Several people have commented that it seems to be the most genuine footage of a dragon they've seen. The quality isn't as good as some of the others listed here, but it is being seen from hundreds of feet away, through clouds, and rather gray lighting. How come with all the supernatural, like, amazing things, the, the quality of the camera is always trash? 
I said the quality isn't as good as some of the others listed here. I didn't say the quality was... You know, I didn't say I didn't have good sources. I didn't say they weren't bad. I'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> like, in all of the paranormal stuff that I have looked at, some of the video quality is not great. Now, well, I want to watch this, and I want to see this, and I will react to it in a little bit. If you were to see, like, a goose flying through a storm cloud... It would just kind of look like a dim speck, you know. Right, but I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up. I'll show you in a minute. I've got <gasps> my sources. Even better. Okay, cool. So September of 2016. Okay. The populace of Tibet, India, see what appears to be loon, as it has no wings. Okay. Serpentining through the sky. You like that word better? Okay. Yeah. You had slither. You had swimming. Now you have serpentining. Mm -hmm. oh, amazing. I love that we are growing in our vocabulary. User Sean, that's just his name, uh, he's been around since the early days of YouTube, y'all. Alright, Sean. <laughs> even posted video evidence to YouTube. So, according, the next source is according to Lad Bible. <gasps> I love Lad Bible. Wow. Bible. Lad Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. In October of 2017, a dragon skeleton was discovered in Zangjaku. Measuring 60 feet or so in length. They've even quoted a couple individuals in their article swearing it's real. Okay. In March of 2020. Ooh, COVID. YouTube user David Users, Y-O-U-S-E-R-S, -E posted a video of what appears to be Loon flying vertically into the clouds above China. Flying vertically. Like this. Yeah, like, straight up. Love that. I love 90 degree angles. So, it almost looks like a kite. Its ascent is so linear. But it has kind of that undulating movement, again, like snakes on trees. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that if it were a kite, it would have to be articulated, kind of like the, the puppets of the festival we mentioned earlier. Right. It would have to have that extra support to make it look like that. Right, and to be able to allow it to move without the material tearing against itself or folding against itself and messing up its flight. Yeah, or it just veering completely right. like off course. You would have to have a lot of training to keep it like that. So, I also looked for an articulated dragon kite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just like I looked for uh, Chinese crocodiles. And the ones I could find all had like one or two foot gaps between the actual plating segments. Yeah. Um, to allow for a movement in the wind. And mm -hmm. so that, like, you know, if you were to have a curve, it could curve in without the plating all stacking on top of each other. Right, but it's also very obvious that it has holes in between its body. Right, so it's like section of plate, section of no plate, section of plate, section of no plate. And um, mm -hmm. for some, for this to be a kite, you would think that somebody would have to be able to control the head, the body, and the tail separately because it was a good several feet long. Right. How can you control the head if it's completely vertical? I, I'm going to tell you. Wind. So, I have no clue. But I would love to see these videos. So, I'm done. <gasps> no, I need to see these videos. Which means we can hop off here and watch the videos. No, I need to, I need to react right now. Oh, you now. want a live reaction? I need to react right now. They're probably not that long, but... Um, while you're waiting for this live reaction, guys, I would like to first say thank you all for listening to the stories. Also, 
Um, I was going to mention this during Scott Kologi's case, but mental illness is something that is very much so not anything that is fictitious or any kind of thing that you want to mess with. So if you are suffering with a mental illness, you can always call 988, which is the new modified version, the new number. Um, it's just three letters instead of you having to call an entire dictionary to get some help, um, basically. But if you are wanting to talk to somebody and you are having thoughts that are not so great, kind of like Scott Kologi, or if you're just having some thoughts that is making you feel distressed, like I said, that's 988. That's a suicide and crisis lifeline that people are constantly there monitoring you 24-7. It is free with confidential support for people in distress, prevention, and for rehabilitation. So if you've got anything going on in your life that you are needing some extra support with, do not feel like you need to battle it alone. 988 is that number that you need to call to help you get into contact with that and know you are not any less or any weaker than you are than getting help. That's actually the opposite. You're quite brave in doing that. And as a mental health person myself, who's got some things going on in their brain, making sure that you are having those people to talk to and medications, amazing. And this is the first one. Which one is this? This is all five of them. What's it called? Oh, all five of them. Okay, cool. See it? See it going straight vertical? Um, I'm sorry. See, it's a little legs moving. <gasps> I'm sorry. No thing. It was uh. galloping up into the heavens. Oh! <gasps> And you, there are no gaps in the body. I'm sorry, what? Hang on a minute. This was the Tibet? That's Tibet. Mm -hmm. It's dark. And that's the rains. It was looking like it was trying to get rain. Or summon rain. No, that's not the one I said was summoning No, rain. but it's dark. It looks scary. It was. It scary. was stormy weather. This is the one that I said was summoning rain. You have to look really hard. You see that light that's moving through the clouds? <gasps> if it's a celestial white dragon? Hang on. Re replay that. Hang on a minute. That is the most compelling of these that I, I think. Because it's not so visible. Yeah, I. this one is, it's right there. Yeah. And yeah, and it's, and it's, and it, it curls. It like goes the up. clouds, yeah. Yeah, that one, that's, yeah, that's it's hard. It's like it's doing a rain dance. Yeah, that's hard to refute, because then it's going up, curling down, curling and back. And you can see it gathering, and then lengthening, like yeah. a snake coiling on itself. Yeah, no, that's, that, that makes more, yeah. This was the Super Vegeta video. Yeah. Super Vegeta 1089. Oh my god, that's so cool. Like, that is awesome. Like, I would believe this video, aside from the other two and more. And you can hear, like, if you watch it with the volume on, you can hear everybody in the background. Just, like, what? Yeah. Like, they're live reacting to, like, it's not a stage thing. Like, it's uh, it's other people. And it's, it's not just a random light. It was there for a while. It was like, there for few, a while. Yeah. Okay, I'm not seeing anything. Am I supposed to? Or I will in a minute, won't I? I don't remember this one. <gasps> it's right there. Oh, yep. Oh! It's up here, too. And you can see it serpentining. Oh, uh, I don't like that. Mm -mm, that makes see me... big That are? makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Which, uh, to be fair, that could be smoke growing off a mountain. That is right, it could be. The but the way it's, it's like... It is... It's keeping firm. Yeah. It's keeping form. It's not... It's straight up. 
Yep, and then there's loops back here, like ridges. Uh, guys. in China. I think it's time to go to China, Not guys. I want to go dragon sighting. Okay, and this is number one. Okay. And, oh, is this, this is in L.A.? Hang on a minute. I did see it. It's like right in the middle. Hang on a minute. Second. Right there. Um, I saw the curve. Yep. That's, that's very cloud. clear. No, that's very clear. And that that's not, not photoshopped in. Oh, that's spooky. That, that fifth one that we just watched was... Um... Russian. I can't help you there. Russian? <laughs> but all five of them are in a comp by user Mr. Lion titled Five Chinese Dragon Caught on Camera and Spotted in Real Life. That's insane. I'm saying I probably offended and mispronounced and misrepresented a lot of things, but I had fun learning about what I did learn. Well, it's the fact that you, I mean, tried. Like I said, we... <laughs> Like, we're trying, really. It's You didn't do it on purpose, you know? Like, you're coming from a spot of... Like I said, I use so many sources to try to fact-check myself, but, I mean, again, America. So, that was our New Year's special. That's very... That was very special, indeed. We started off with a very depressing story about the 16-year-old. No, no, no. We started off with... It's the New Year's special! Da -da -da -da. Da -da 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 -da. Okay, yeah, that was pretty uplifting, but then we got sad, and then we got mystical. Well, I was trying to end it there, but you kept talking. I'm sorry! <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, see Bye. you next time.